Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, um, my name is, as Ryan said, Dave Jenkins. Um, I have been here now. This will be my 10th time. Uh, Your pastor sends greetings to you in Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. He is having a marvelous time with Cindy, and no doubt they're enjoying each other and uh, the time that they are having with family and friends as well, and just uh, being able to be refreshed in the Lord. So, uh, you know, we're going to pray for him in just a minute. Um, I forgot in the pastoral prayer. So... uh, I know he'll watch this later, so thank you, brother, Pastor Parker, for the invitation to bring the word today, as you always say. Well, we're going to look today at uh, Psalm 51, um, so if, if you would like, I know I just said you could sit, but if you would like to stand for the reading of God's word, that would be great, please. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to your word, we also lift up Pastor Parker and Cindy and family as they are uh, enjoying uh, a vacation, a break. We pray, Lord, that they are being refreshed in the Lord as uh, Pastor Parker connects with uh, many friends and as Cindy visits as well with friends and family. Uh, We pray now as we come to your word. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us, help us to know even just a sliver of the depths from which you have saved us from our sin and show us even more or help us even discover maybe for the first time the glorious nature of the cross and the resurrection. So Lord, I pray that you would take this meager offering of a sermon and that you would use it in the life of your people and that they would be equipped and that they would know even more of the glories of Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, the big idea for our time together is this. That's the, that's the thing that I'm trying, gonna, hopefully we're going to discover together from Psalm 51, is this. Biblical repentance requires crying out for forgiveness, confession of sin, and cleansing through the blood of Christ alone. 
Biblical repentance leads to a life of biblical obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit, growth in grace and telling others about grace, a concern for the glory of God, and to a life submitted under the word of God. Now, we all know that there are very famous, very well-known passages and chapters in the Bible. These passages, these chapters, these are famous for a particular doctrine, for a particular theme that they set forth. 1 Corinthians is known as the chapter of love. Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith for the portrait of faith. Psalm 51 is, no, is one of the famous chapters in the Bible. It's renowned as the classic prayer of repentance. If you ever wonder what the superscription is, that little title underneath the psalm, that is the superscription. And the superscription to this psalm, it tells us that it was penned by King David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan for his adultery with Bathsheba. Now, David responded to Nathan's confrontation by doing what the Lord calls us all to do when we are confronted with our sins. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says this, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It was not to Nathan that David needed to confess, but to the Lord. Psalm 51 records David's prayer of repentance. Now, thinking rightly, thinking seriously, thinking biblically about biblical repentance is serious business in a time when biblical repentance is neglected, marginalized, it's unwanted, it's unappreciated. In fact, in the church today, we talk about grace, we talk about forgiveness or other themes, but we have to ask, where is our talk about repentance? In fact, there are even some professing Christians today that think that repentance is a legalistic offering uh, to the grace of God. And yet, repentance is so necessary to our salvation that none other than our master, our Lord, our King, Jesus, began his ministry by talking about repentance. Mark 1.15 tells us the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Martin Luther's that Protestant reformer, his very first point of his 95 thesis, which were nailed to that Wittenberg door, German castle door, was that when our Lord and master Jesus said in Matthew 4.17, Luther says that the Lord willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. John Calvin, that Protestant reformer, said that repentance is not merely the start of the Christian life, it is the Christian life. And so in light of that, we must have a clear, and we must have a biblical understanding of what repentance is. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. In fact, we can say that repentance and faith are so joined together that Jesus can say, repent and believe. Sinclair Ferguson, a, a, a well-known theologian of our day, said, faith cannot exist where there is no repentance. I cannot come to Christ in faith without turning from sin and repentance. They are two sides of the same coin of belonging to Jesus. And so repentance then, we can say, is not only concern for the unsaved, but of great concern to every Christian. In fact, Psalm 51 is vital then to understand what it means to repent. Now, the first point in your bulletin is this. Biblical repentance requires calling out for forgiveness. The first point in your bulletin is biblical repentance requires crying out for forgiveness. Psalm 51, 1 through 2 says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundance mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now what David knows is that forgiveness with the Lord is based on divine mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord. Now this opening phrase, have mercy on me, O God, was not a request for what David deserved, which was painful discipline, but what David needed, which was divine grace. In fact, David was aware of his need to have the mercy of God according to the steadfast love of the Lord. And so he appeals to God to act in accordance with his revealed loving nature. And so the appeal to forgiveness is pictured in three ways in the first two verses. In Psalm 51, 1 through 2, which say, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love,' 
according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So the phrase, blot out my transgressions, which is the first phrase that we see, it means to wipe away David's sinful acts of rebellion and willful acts of deviation. As if David's sins were actually written by God in a book, and they are, he pleaded that his acts of sinful rebellion would be removed from that record. And second, David compares himself to a foul garment stained with filth when he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, as a person would wash dirty clothes. And third, he pleaded, cleanse me from my sin. And this pictured the purification necessary for temple worship under ceremonial worship. Psalm 51.1 says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I want you to hear me well when I say this, because this next part, because it's really, really critical. Confession of sin is necessary to biblical repentance in the same way that algebra is necessary to take calculus. Facing the reality of our sin and our shame of our guilt should lead us to repentance. And yet, if we're honest before the Lord today, All of us have had times in our life when that's not true. Many people today do not proceed from conviction of sin to biblical repentance because they fail to understand the point that Psalm 51 addresses about biblical repentance, which is that biblical repentance, it trusts the mercy of God. The the mercy of God is vital to understand biblical repentance. You know, we, we all know that perhaps that when you call somebody to repent and believe, repent of their sins, it, it unnerves even some people to hear that because they might assume that repentance relies on something they can do, such as their works, their performance. To these people, biblical repentance, it means turning their life around, picking up their life so that then they may come to God when they have it all together. The problem is no one can change themselves enough because the power of sin is just too strong. Sin's claws are in the sinner's flesh, and they hold them in such a bondage that they cannot escape apart from Christ. Now, David realizes in our text before us today that the very powerful nature of sin and how sin corrupts the sinner's very nature so that our desires, they run towards evil discourage and disgruntle the self-reliant sinner if they think of the Lord as the problem then and not the solution to their sin. That, that is, if the sinner hates his sin, he hates God even more for requiring a repentance that they cannot perform, and they go in this endless cycle of trying to appease God by even their repentance. And now, I want to say a sto- tell you a story from the man that I quoted earlier in my introduction. Martin Luther, that performer, said, if we remember, the Lord willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And Luther knew this not only in his head, he knew it not only in his heart, but he knew it because he lived it out. See, before Luther wrote that famous statement on repentance, which I just read, was before he discovered the mercy of God in Christ. And Luther was so terrified at that time about his sin to such a degree that he confessed his sin regularly. In fact, he drove the priests mad with these endless sessions of confession in the confessional booth. And Luther tried to do harder and better, but he just couldn't. And one time he was asked, Martin, don't you love God? And Luther replied, love God, I hate God. Because he hated God because he could not see a way of escape from his judgment. There are many like Luther was today. Now, notice that David says in verse 1 of Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. That's because David's plea makes all the difference in the world to the convicted sinner because it shows the difference between sorrow and joy, despair and hope, resentful anger, and loving worship of our Lord. Repentance cannot rely on our own performance, on our own works, David knows this. That's why he says, have mercy on me, O God. James Boyce, a a, a Presbyterian 
minister who died in 2000 says this, Mercy is the sole basis of any approach to God by sinners. We cannot come to God on the basis of His justice. Justice, Boyce says, strikes us with fear and causes us to hide from Him. We are not drawn to God by His wisdom. Wisdom does not embolden us, though we stand in awe of it. No more does omniscience, omnipotence, or omnipresence. The only reason we dare come to God and dare hope for a solution to our sin is his mercy. That's the good news, that if you are in Christ today, that we have to share with the world, that the Lord has mercy for sinners who must repent to believe and put their hope and trust in Christ alone. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. See, the mercy of God is shown, and we see it clearly in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Think for a minute about how often Jesus healed in the Gospels. That was the mercy of God to a sick and a sinful world. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells of a, of a leper, the ultimate symbol of a corrupt humanity coming to the Lord Jesus. After all, lepers have a disease running through their veins, the very same way that as sinners have corrupting desires infecting our souls. Lepers were contagious, so people scattered when they encountered a defiled person. And still Jesus remained as the leper approached in this story, falling to his knees, the wretched man begged Jesus in Mark 1, 40 through 42. Notice what he says. If you will, you can, be, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he made him clean. This is the mercy of God that is willing to receive you, willing to heal you, granting you the power of the grace of God to overcome your sin and enable you to repent. And while sin is far stronger than our strength of will, it is still only the second greatest power in the world. In fact, this is the good news. There is a greater power. The grace of God extended to sinners who cry out, as David did in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. That's the good news. The second point in your outline is, biblical repentance requires confession of sin. The second point in your bulletin is, biblical repentance requires confession of sin. Psalm 51, 3-6 says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now we saw in the first two verses of this psalm, about David's need and our need for forgiveness and cleansing. And now in Psalm 51, 3 through 4, David talks about why he needs forgiveness and cleansing when he says that I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David offers what we can say is the classic definition of confession to sin, when he pleads guilty before the Lord. A convicted criminal is sorry that they got caught. But biblical repentance, though, means more than being sorry for the sin that we commit and the harm that it causes others. In fact, David is painfully aware of this. He says, I know my transgressions. His conscience is so pressed to such a degree about his guilt that his sin is always before his mind. It haunts him. David recognized that his sin was against God, not just against Bathsheba, not just against Uriah and the nation even. He confessed, against you only have I sinned. David's sin was treason against God since David had done what was evil in the sight of God. Fully acknowledging his sin, David called sin what it was, not weakness, not brokenness, but wickedness, not an accident or a mistake, but an atrocity. He accepted the verdict of God. He admitted that God was proved right when he spoke against David's sin and was justified when he judged him. There was no alibis. There was no deflection. There was no shifting of blame here. David offered no excuses to God 
Only a full confession of his own guilt that deserved the divine justice of God. Now, delving deeper into the source of this matter, David said the issue here was a corrupt heart. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David knew that he entered a world a sinner in nature long before he became a sinner in his actions or choice. In, the, in fact, this internal corruption, it predated his birth. It began when he was conceived in the womb. It was that conception that the sin nature he inherited from Adam was transmitted to him. The problem of what he did, sin, arose from what he was, a sinner, in need of the grace of the Lord Jesus. David also knew that he fell fall short, like we all do, of God's desire for his life. His words in verse 6, surely you desire truth in the inward parts, it indicates that David had been living a lie before God. He had been attempting to cover up his sin, even though God always sees and God always knows, David thought that he could do whatever he wanted. But he goes on and says, you teach me wisdom. Wisdom should lead us to act honestly and openly about our sin. This is a tragic role that David had been play-acting in. Now, in order to confess our sin, we need to have an understanding, even briefly, about what sin is. And that's what we can be thankful for, because in the first five verses of Psalm 51, we see a clear understanding about the different aspects and the nature of sin. In fact, the first word that David uses is transgressions in verse 1 and verse 3 of this psalm. To transgress, it means to cross a boundary or to break a rule. Many people today think of sin as brokenness or a mistake or something else, but the truth is we have all crossed the boundary. We have all broken the rules of God because we are all like David. We have every single one of us broken every single one of the Ten Commandments. That means like David, we are law-breaking transgressors. And the second term that David uses in Psalm 51 is iniquity. And that means, iniquity means perversion of corruption in verse 2 of our psalm. In Psalm 51, 5, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's point here is that his very nature since conception was one of sin. His confession highlights that his desires are offensive to God and not merely his actions because he is a sinner by nature. And the third thing that David highlights in verses 2 through 3 is the word sin. When he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David realizes that he was not the man that he should have been. The apostle Paul applied this verse to everyone. What he says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we talk about confessing our sin, all three ideas must be kept in mind, and we must respond in light of all three by specifically admitting that we have done wrong and we have, addressed, we have, we have done wrong and we have transgressed the law of God. David's confession of his transgression is seen in verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, notice here, David isn't shifting blame. He's not pointing the finger at anybody else. He's admitting his sin. He owns up to it. He's not denying that he sinned against Bathsheba and her husband, Uriah. What grieves David most is the knowledge that he has sinned against the Lord. That great uh, theologian who is now with the Lord, R.C. Sproul, once remarked that all sin is cosmic treason against the Lord. David has dishonored. He has angered the Lord, and God would be right to judge David. In fact, David even says this in verse 4 of Psalm 51 when he says, you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You know, friends, true repentance doesn't say, I did what I did, and it was something that I shouldn't have done. True and biblical repentance in part says, I have given personal offense to God by breaking the law of God. This is why perhaps you're here, and if this is you, if you stop at only being sorry for your sin, you miss out on God's renewed blessing because you will not admit your guilt. Or at worst, we might be sorry for our sin, but then we might shift blame for it and not take ownership of it, and at worst, begin to accuse the other person who's trying to help us. 
with our blind spot, with our sin. Now, it's really, really important to understand this. David was king over Israel at this time. He could have, he could have had Nathan struck down for what he did, confronting him, but he didn't. And instead, what we have is a beautiful picture, which we see in 2 Samuel, of, of what true repentance looks like when our sin is found out by others, or we admit it. And we should do this. I, we should say, I have sinned against the Lord, and the Lord is right to condemn me because of my sin. My actions were sinful, and I should be judged. We're going to talk about the rest of what we should say as we go throughout this about our repentance. But sin literally means, it means to miss the mark because of the corrupt nature I mentioned earlier. We are sinners by nature. Verse 5 of Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's not saying something that there's wicked about his conception by his mother. He's pointing out that we are sinners by nature. He's talking about original sin. Original sin does not refer to the actual sin of our very first parents, Adam and Eve. It refers to the effects of their sin on all humanity. As Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. And still we can say Adam's sin brought God's curse upon our race so that we're all born in a fallen state of moral corruption. In fact, in noting his inherited depravity, David acknowledges that he did not just happen to sin at that time. Rather, sin was engraved into his very nature. He was a sinner at his core. That's why he sinned. David confessed his sin to God, not just as a small or even a fleeting problem that could be either easily brushed aside. Rather, he presented sin as a colossal defect in his very nature. I want to repeat that. David presented his sin as a colossal defect in his very nature. And this is so important to understand, friends, because we're living in a time when modern psychology, self-help, and secular methodology will tell you that you can just find and you can discover what's really wrong with you. And that's why modern psychology and secular methodology and self-help will never do. Because they're going to tell you that if you can discover the root of your problems, you can deal with your problems. You can deal with your past. Oh, the problem is, is that the problem, that problem of your sin isn't discoverable because it goes as deep as the deepest caverns in the ocean and as deep and wide a space. The problem of our sin goes to our very nature. Sin dwells in your and my nature just as blood throws through our very veins. That's why we need a solution to our sin. That's why we need a thorough cleansing. You must repent and believe in Christ to be born again and renewed. And yet, you and I were unworthy before God. We're far beneath what God intends and what God expects. And even worse still, our sin has made us all lawbreakers, which means our sin has brought us under the just condemnation of God. And that with no ability to do anything to rectify the situation on our own. And this is a terrifying reality. It also exposes how devastating it is to be told by a self-help therapeutic culture that all you need today is your best life now. Buckle up, buttercup, you know, man up, chin up, whatever. Do it all on your own. The Bible has a better word than this. And that is that we have to see our sin for what it is before a holy God so that we can rightly understand the glorious nature of the grace of God. And I'm not sympathetic. If you have a hard, unsympathetic, that if you're having a hard time understanding the re, this reality being described in this psalm, and you deny and even minimize your guilt before God, you should pray for the Lord to open your eyes, just as he sent the prophet Nathan to confront David and soften his hardened heart so as to confess his sin. Maybe Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that when we're reading, when we're studying the Bible, when we're hearing the word preached, God is doing the very same thing that Nathan did with David. He's confronting us about our sin. That's a blessing from God, by the way. That's not something to run away from. It's a kindness of God that God would be so gracious, so kind, not to give David up to his sin, but to expose it, to bring it to the light. 
That's what the word does. It shows us our sin. And then it shows us the glorious nature of the grace of God in Christ. Praise God for that. The third point in your bulletin is that biblical repentance finds cleansing through the blood of Christ alone. The third point in your bulletin is biblical repentance finds cleansing through the blood of Christ alone. Psalm 51, 7 through 9 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now, verse 7 of this psalm, it expresses another plea. Cleanse me with hyssop. And this alludes to the image of a leper seeking cleansing. In this case, a hyssop will be dipped in blood and sprinkled seven times on the leper at the altar. Leviticus 14.6 says, He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird and the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. David saw himself as a spiritual leper in need of divine cleansing. The removal of a sin would occur only through the shed blood of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 says, Hear this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's only forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of our Savior and Lord Jesus. Only then would David be whiter than snow. Isaiah 118 says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In verse 8, David says, let me hear joy and gladness would be the result of the forgiveness that he sought. In Psalm 32, 1 through 2, which is a companion passage to Psalm 51, he says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame and your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Now, in verse 8, he says, let, of Psalm 51, he says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That indicates how crushed David was by Nathan's indictment in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. David's whole body ached under the heavy burden of his sin. And so he asks in verse 9 that God hide his face from his sins, which were ever before him. In other words, David is saying, forgive me so that I'm not going to have to look at my sins anymore. And now David returns to the accounting imagery where he says, blot out all my iniquity. Only then David will be right with the Lord. And you might be asking at this point in this message, how can it be that a holy God can show mercy and grace to sinners? And you might ask, if, if God is a righteous judge, and if we have transgressed his law, how can he simply blot out the record of our sins? Well, praise God, the answer is given in Psalm 51, 17. With our third point, as a reminder, which is biblical repentance finds cleansing through the blood of Christ alone. You know, hyssop was a spongy plant that grew in crevices, often on walls. Because of its shape, because of its texture, it was often used as a small br br brush. Brush. Sometimes I can talk. You know? Woo, that was fun. Um, in Israel's sacrificial system, the hyssop brush was used to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the one to be cleansed. We, re we remember the leper who came to Jesus as a picture of the one corrupted by sin. And we note that the hyssop brush was especially used for the cleansing rite for those cured of leprosy. This ritual we see in Leviticus 14, it involved two birds. One was killed, and the hyssop rush was dipped in its blood, which was then sprinkled on the leper to be cleansed. This is what David sought in Psalm 51, 7, which says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Now, the second live bird that we see in Leviticus 14 was, was then dipped in blood and released to fly away into the sky. This flight symbolized the complete removal of sin and guilt. The red stain flew upward until it could no longer be seen. Psalm 103.12 says this, that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The rite concluded with the former lepers washing his body and clothes, just as David prayed in Psalm 51.7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now this ritual it foretold the atoning 
work of Jesus Christ when he died in our place and for our sin. Like the first bird, Jesus was put to death for our sin. He died to pay the penalty for our sins under the law of God. And so when we trust in the death of Christ, his blood is applied to us and we are made clean. And then Jesus sent away our guilt just as a live bird flew away with the red stain of our sin. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, notice in verse 7 how thorough, how complete this cleansing is. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This is a righteousness of which we can hardly conceive, having so little practical experience of it in our daily lives, perhaps. And yet the Bible teaches that if we come to God through faith in Christ, we stand perfectly cleansed before him. In 1 John 1, 7, he says, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. While some people, they find it hard, really hard to admit their sinfulness, others condemn themselves too readily. These unfortunate souls find it difficult to believe that anything could really cleanse them at all. But God says, if you come to Christ to be washed clean, his blood will make you not a dingy brown, but a gleaming white like snow. Isaiah 118 again says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And so I ask you today, have you found this cleansing through the blood of Christ? Perhaps even in this room today, among this congregation. You are sitting here and you know that you have offended God in many great ways. Some have committed murder or assault or adultery. Some have been vandals and thieves. Some have lied and slandered, using their tongues to destroy and sow discord and blaspheme the holy name of God. The truth is every single one of us has committed all of these sins, terrible sins, In fact, the sins that we haven't even committed with our hands, we have committed in the desire of our hearts. We have been rebels who fall fall short of what God desires and what God demands. For some, our great need is to confess that we have sinned against God and are rightly condemned. Others are still yet being crushed under the burden of unforgiven sins in an uncleansed soul. So I say to all of you, look to Christ. And there you'll find a God who loves you and me enough to send his son under the sentence of death to bear the guilt of our sins. Only there can we be cleansed whiter than snow, washed and renewed in the blood of Christ. Only then will Jesus clothe us in the perfect robes of his righteousness and the record of our sins will be nailed to the cross. Where he redeemed us with his own precious blood. Now, the fourth point in your bulletin is this. Biblical repentance produces biblical obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fourth point in your bulletin is this. Biblical repentance produces biblical obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And so having confessed his sin, having received God's forgiveness, David prayed with a pure heart so he's not going to fall back into sin. Creating me a pure heart is something only the Lord can do. Only the Lord can renew David's heart with a steadfast spirit of purity. In Psalm 51, 11, David says, Do not cast me away from your presence. What this means, it does not indicate here that he feared that he's going to lose his salvation. Rather, this is a plea that God would not remove his divine power from David's life. And thus he asked God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. He feared being set aside and serving the Lord, a severe discipline that he knew that he deserved and would suffer if God would not accept his confession. And then David pleaded with the Lord to restore to him the joy of his salvation. This is because sin and joy cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. The two are mutually exclusive. Notice David does not request that his salvation be restored, but that the joy of his salvation be restored. He wanted a willing spirit so he could obey the Lord and persevere in holiness. 
The Christian life does not end with forgiveness. It begins with forgiveness. This means that repentance not only finds cleansing in the blood of Christ, but as the fourth point in your bulletin states, biblical repentance produces biblical obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. Biblical repentance involves not only turning away from sin, but walking with God in holiness. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David indicates all the blessings that sin steals from us. A purity of heart, steadfastness of spirit, the joy of of salvation. These same blessings, though, are restored by repentance. In fact, your repentance is not complete without them. Indeed, repentance is not sincere and even genuine unless it produces gospel joy and a godly resolve that we see in David. Now, to be clear, so that we're all on the same page, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we do not live a godly life in order to achieve repentance. And yet the one who knows himself cleansed by Christ's precious blood, and who rejoices in the priceless gift of salvation, goes on to increasingly live a godly life of gratitude before the face of our Lord. The fifth point in your bulletin says this, biblical obedience leads to growth in grace and to telling others about grace. The fifth point in your bulletin is this, biblical repentance leads to growth in grace and telling others about grace. Psalm 51, 13 through 17 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise." What's forgiven, David promised in verse 13 that I just read, he would teach transgressors your ways. He would communicate the truth that God would afflict them for their sin. This would also include the pardon they would receive when they confess their sin. I earlier read from the first two verses of Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is the fulfillment of this vow. As a result of such teaching, sinners were turned back to God, acknowledging and forsaking their sin. In verse 14, David says, Save me from blood guilt, O God. That's because the enormity of his sin continued to burden him. He knew that he deserved severe discipline. He deserved the death penalty for his sins. This sobering reality caused him to seek forgiveness. And then he says, he declared, My tongue will sing of your righteousness. That's, that is, he will tell others of the forgiveness that he has known now. David knew that the Lord did not desire an animal sacrifice or even burnt offerings for his sin. The sacrifice the Lord required was a broken and contrite heart. Humility before God and brokenness over our sin are the marks of genuine confession. A notable example of this is Zacchaeus, that chief tax collector in Jericho who enriched himself by robbing and cheating the poor. When Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ, he received salvation it was only natural for him to rejoice in making restitution in Luke 19.8, which says, Behold, Lord, that half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. David had similar motivations. His sin against Bathsheba had terrible consequences for his own life and for his nation. And yet the bad example of David as king reverberated throughout the kingdom. And so he prays for the Spirit of God's help, not just for his own spiritual uplifting, that he can get busy undoing some of the harm he had done. In verse 13, he says he wants to teach transgressors his ways, so that sinners will return to you. In verses 14 through 15, he tells of his desire to sing praise to God. David wants the Jerusalem that he has torn down by sin to be built up by godliness. He wants the spiritual life of the nation to be restored, and so he prays in verses 18 through 19. Do good design in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, verses 16 through 17, they make a vital statement that every sinner who turns to God and now wants to 
return to the Lord. When he says this in Psalm 51, 16 through 17, you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This is an important declaration of what the Old Testament religion was all about. God was never interested in mere rituals. He always desired the heart response of our faith. He wanted to offer to God a heart that was now pierced by the gravity of sin, pliable in the hands of God, and sensitive to the truth of God. In verse 17, he declares the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is the highest, the best offering we can offer to God is a broken heart over our sin and responsive to his grace. The proper fruit of repentance is nothing less than offering uh, ourselves to God with the inevitable result of restitution for prior sin and new obedience to the word of God. The sixth point in your bulletin is biblical repentance leads to a concern for the glory of God. Psalm 51, Psalm 51, 18 through 19 says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then bowls will be offered on your altar. David was aware of the close connection between his personal holiness as king of Israel and the national blessing from which the people of God would enjoy. His point is, character counts. The sins of the leaders affect other people as well as themselves. And so he prays in verse 18 that Zion would prosper in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Notice, now that David's been renewed, he prayed that the nation would be renewed. That is, first personal renewal and then corporate renewal. And only then once forgiven would David present righteous sacrifices with a heart right before the Lord. Verse 19 tells us. Only then would the whole burnt offerings and bowls be offered in order to delight the Lord. And so the human heart must be right before the Lord, before sacrifices can be rightly offered to the Lord. The last point in your bulletin is this. Biblical repentance is a way of life. The last point in your bulletin is, biblical repentance is a way of life. If you have never experienced the blessing of forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal, This psalm urges you to repent and turn in faith to your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin and come to God for mercy through the cleansing blood of Christ alone. And yet we're mistaken if we think repentance is something we only do to become Christians for the first time. Nor is repentance only for Christians who have sinned massively as David did with Bathsheba. The truth about repentance is what we see expressed by Martin Luther at the very first of his 95 Theses when he says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he said that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Luther here is arguing against the mechanical system of penance then as now taught by the Roman Catholic Church. Repentance to the Catholic Church is little more than saying a few Our Fathers and Hail Marys after leaving the confessional booth or handing over to buy an indulgence. Luther would argue just as vigorously today against today's attitude that repentance is an unpleasant necessity or a mere formality to do once and then put behind you. Instead, repentance is the mode in which Christians humbly live their lives before God. Repentance Yes, repentance is the entire mode in which Christians humbly live their lives. Sinclair Ferguson says, Repentance is a characteristic of the whole life, not the action of a single moment. Salvation means we're actually being saved. That means repentance requires confession of sin. It requires relying on the mercy of God. It finds cleansing through the blood of Christ, and it produces new obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is our, to be our daily life in Christ. And we can work out this repentance in a number of areas, beginning with worship. One of the worst things that can happen when people fall into sin is they stop worshiping God. They forget that they can bring their sins to God, who in mercy will forgive them and cleanse them. A problem that, that is almost as bad arises when people do come to worship, but they come without repentance. Psalm 51 is teaching us telling us, reminding us, perhaps even, about how to approach God, 
depicting the attitude that we should have in worship. The way to worship the Lord is not to come in our own righteousness, but to come with David's words in Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God. We must worship, we worship, I mean, as sinners, coming to a God of mercy through the cleansing blood of Christ, offering our hearts contritely to him and looking to his spirit for his help. Now, repentance, it also describes the way in which we should read and study our Bibles, that we should grow in Christian truth. Repentance is a way that we give our minds, that we give our hearts to the Lord. How should you approach the Bible to receive the word of the Lord? The answer is that you must humbly open your heart, being eager to have your heirs corrected by it and your faith built up. This also explains perhaps why so many people get so little out of the preaching of the word of God as they sit before the minister with hearts that are not contrite before the Lord because they've already decided what they think and what they want to believe and they're not willing to submit to the word of God. And we should therefore always, always approach God's word by confessing the sinfulness in our thinking, the corruption that keeps us from the truth. And then we should cry out for the mercy of the Lord. Play the cleansing blood of Christ. Pray for God's help through the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is especially true for this preacher. And for everyone, for Pastor Parker, we all must approach God's word with repentance. But finally, how should you approach the challenges that you face day to day? The answer is repentance coupled with faith. You should receive every trial, every opportunity as a sinner who is guilty of transgression and worthy to be condemned. What a cure repentance is for self-pity, for beating ourselves up over the head. Then remember the mercy of God who is graciously willing to receive your prayers and help you because your Savior, even right now, is your high priest and intercessor, your mediator before God and man. You should offer then your works, your ministry, your labor, your vocation, your nine to five, your, your 24 hours a day, everything through the cleansing blood of Christ. Undaunted by their imperfections and the residue of your sin, asking Christ to receive them with his blessing. You should ask God for the Spirit to empower you to trust and glorify him. If you and I will but offer our lives, our whole lives, through repentance and faith, God will do more than just cleanse and forgive us. He will do a lasting work in and through us. And in the terms of David's concluding verses, the Lord will make Zion prosper and build up the walls of his city God will gain sacrifices that are pleasing to him, and worshipers will come to him in spirit and truth. Repentance joined with faith is a Christian's whole way of life, our whole way to the path of blessing, to the glory of the holy God of mercy and grace. You know, uh, this week, I, I was, my wife and I were definitively reminded of this truth. On Thursday, in fact, of this week, our car broke down due to mechanical failure, and it in the moment, you know how you have moments that you, you know, struggle? We had a few of those, okay? I don't need to say any more than that because I think everybody knows what those are like. But I, I, I remember we were at the mechanic. I walked back by the trash can, and I, I had a moment. I sat there and cried. And then I came back, and Sarah said, what's wrong? I said, just overwhelmed. But she said, David, remember that God's in control. And that was such a good reminder. That, that night we, we sat and we talked about things, and we, we sat and talked about what we're thankful for. You know, it's easy to get up here, and I said, every preacher needs to come to the Word with repentance. It's easy to come up here and talk about repentance. You know, the Lord has, uh, in the early years of our marriage, he led us, uh, both of us, to repent of the various ways in which, another way, you can say it this way, another way in which to work this idea out that we're talking about is in marriage. And in the first few years of our marriage, my marriage to Sarah, I remember sitting in my office thinking, we had just gotten in a fight, 
And I said, you're a Christian leader, and you preach on this. You preach on conflict resolution. You write on conflict resolution. You should know these things. It got a little warm in there, you know? Um, And uh, the Lord graciously led me to repentance. See, conviction of sin is a blessing. But then what happened is I went to my wife after I confessed my sin and turned and repented of it, and I apologized. Now, at the time, she was still, you know, she's having her moment, you know. We'll just say it that way. And, you know, I had to learn as the husband that, you know what? It's okay to give her some space and come back and talk about things. But what we find, whether it's in in marriage or in a relationship or a relationship with one another, or, you know, you're out in the world, you know, as you go out from this place, you know, you'll never regret repenting, keeping short accounts with God. In fact, Hebrews 3.13 tells us to not harden our hearts while today is today. Maybe you, you need to do business with your God today. Maybe it got a little warm in here. Don't run away from the Lord. When, the, when it gets a little warm, when, and I mean, and the Lord is convicting you of your sin and showing you it very clearly, you know, it's a blessing. It was a blessing. God, the Lord did not have to confront David about his sin. He could have let him go wherever he wanted to go. He does the same thing with us. So I just wanted to say, as we wrap up this time, we all need this message, but there's nobody that needs it more than I do. And there have been times in my life, when I was a junior in high school even, where, again, I was sitting reading my Bible, and the Lord convicted me of bitterness and resentment against my dad. And in that moment, I repented, confessed my sin to the Lord. The next day, my dad and I took a walk, and he restored our relationship in Christ. Thankfully, he's a professing Christian. Now my dad has dementia. There's not one day in which I'm, I'm not thankful for the many years that we've had to talk. You will never regret keeping short accounts with the Lord. That's what I'm saying. You will never regret repenting of your sin, putting your hope and your trust in Christ, or continuing to repent. As, as John Calvin said, the repentance is not merely the, the, the start of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. That's what I'm saying. Let's pray. Lord, um, it's not fun to have our sin confronted through the preaching of your word or just reading and studying it or having somebody come to us and put up a mirror and saying, hey, brother, sister, this is, this is how you're living. It's not fun. But it is a blessing from you. It is a kindness from you. It is an undeserved mercy. But above all, it was out of your great abundant love that you sent forth Christ under the sentence of death in the incarnation to pay the penalty that we justly deserve. And you were buried and you rose again. So Lord, help us, help us not just to, to say the right words, to go through the emotions and our repentance and only go halfway. Help us to go all the way. Help us to not only be sorry for our sin, help us to hate our sin because we love the Savior who bled and died in our place and for our sin. Help us to heed the words of Romans 6.11, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That is who we are because we have been united to Christ by faith in your name. So Lord, help us, help us to confess, help us to see our sin, help us to confess our sin, help us to turn away from our sin, and help us to trust and rest in the righteousness of Christ alone. 
even now as you are our high priest, our mediator, our intercessor, and our soon-returning King and Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.